It's the Dice Are Screaming coming at you again for Friday edition. Oh, with your hosting dice. Me, Randy Patton. <laughs> and myself, Michael Hanna. Yeah, coming at you twice a week now. Well, as we always have, Tuesdays and Fridays. Here on the lovely Anchor FM. Yep. Thank you for all your interest. Our last podcast, Gamma World, was a big hit with you all. And yeah, kind of a surprise to me because I was really enthused about it just on a personal level. I don't, you know, but I hate to say this of us, but a very large part of what decides what we're going to talk about is how excited we are when we just name a topic and like, oh my gosh, that is going to be fantastic. I'm so <laughs> totally into this. That decides it. And, you know, having it be something that other people really enjoyed is just like icing on a cake of awesome. Yeah, and so we got a lot of call-ins from it, so we're going to get right to that. But uh, first coming at you is Larry Hamilton from the Follow Me and Die podcast. And if you're not listening to it, you should be. Oh, very much so. Yep, so here's Larry coming at us. Hey guys, this is Larry with Follow Me and Die. Just listen to your Gamma World episode. I really enjoyed that. Um, I did have Metamorphosis Alpha back in the day and later Gamma World, and they are practically identical except for a few of the abilities and the uh, charts for figuring out items. Um, Metamorphosis Alpha has been available on one bookshelf for several years now, and it uh, that's basically a, a reprint of the original. Jim Ward got the copyright back on that. He did not get the copyright back on Gamma World, however. Gamma World first edition was released in the last couple of weeks on one bookshelf, so I picked that up. And I'm going to run out of time here, so I'm going to pick up in the next minute. Hello, this is Larry with Follow Me and I again. With Metamorphosis Alpha, a few years ago, I came up with the scenario Red Shirt Metamorphosis that I ran at UConn, and I've run at a couple other cons. And for Gamma World at GaryCon this past spring, I ran Vault of the Ancients, and I'll be running that at UConn in a couple of weeks. Uh, Mutant Crawl Classics is the name of the Goodman Games game based on Dungeon Crawl Classics with a Gamma World feel. That's a lot of fun. And way back in high school, I was the president of the science fiction book club and I got interviewed and they asked about the games I played. And when I mentioned Gamma World, it ended up in the paper as Camel World. I wish I still had a copy of that. We always got a kick out of that. Good episode. Keep it up, guys. Talk to you later. Bye. All right. That was Larry Hamilton, folks. And he came at us in two parts there. He had a little bit of a longer message. Yeah, wow, Camel World. Yeah, all right. We're, okay, we're going to start with that one. Um, that is the best accidental blurb in a newspaper ever. Yeah. Camel World. I actually kind of just am feeling this terrible impulse to write a game purely based, now that there's something, you know, that name has been used, I want to write a game called Camel World, like Bunnies and Burrows. Yeah. But, you know, with camels. Yeah. Uh. And, you know, you could be a, you know, spellcasting camel. Yes. You could be a clerical camel. Well, and they've got the kind with two humps and the kind with one. Yep. There you go. So. I, I think when they have no lump, they're just called a llama. Oh. Yeah. You know, that's a sub race. Yep. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, thanks a lot, Larry. And, uh, of course, thanks for clearing that up about the uh, Mutant Crawl Classics. I was a little logy oh. that day. Oh, and I'm naming my llama Dolly. Yep. And uh, one bookshelf, of course, you can get um, yeah, Metamorphosis Alpha. Wiring me in on that, because I was completely out of the loop on this, Larry. I had no idea there was a thing called one bookshelf. And I am now just, like, creepily enthused. You know, with complete with evil hand-rubbing, you're like, <laughs> uh, that, That's going to occupy some screen time for me. Yep, and so we're going to get our next one. This one's from Glenn Hallstrom of Old Man Grognard, Grognard Radio. Yes! And uh, he has a few things to say about our podcast, so we'll be right back with you again. Take it away, Glenn. Hey, Mike and Randy, Old Man Grognard here. Great episode about Gamma World. Loved it. Yes, it looms large in my memory. I hated it. The second RPG I ever played because the DM didn't know what the hell to do with it. Because we spent three years just wandering around. I think uh, she got, I don't think she got the idea of the sandbox very well because it's like all of a sudden she wanted us to make our own adventures. It's like, well, you got to help us here. But anyway, I have fourth edition, which I hear is the best. And I'm firmly in the Mutant Future camp. I love Mutant Future. It's Gamma World with the BX rules, which makes it even more understandable and easy to use. So. Here's a shout-out to Mutant Future. Here's a shout-out to you guys. You guys are doing a great job. Keep it up. And I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. And that was Glenn Hallstrom giving us uh, some of his feedback. Yeah, we really enjoyed doing that. And uh, Mutant Future, I picked that up uh, since my copy of Gamma World has long since fallen into disrepair and has been seized <laughs> by the winds of chaos. Uh, yeah, Mutant Future allowed us to get back and do some... Uh, Mutants and Mayhem in yeah. the Ruins of the Ancients. That was the name of the uh, respin that we had gotten our hands on that I enjoyed so much. Uh, I believe just, what, just summer and a half ago or summer yeah. ago? Uh, that, was, that was exactly the edition that we were speaking of, and it is terrific. You are correct. That is just outstanding work. On yeah, that and that, and we can't get Gamma World out of our mind. Sometimes, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's one of those games that stuck with us. Uh, it's one of those quirky ones. So, yeah, glad that uh, you gave us feedback on that as well. And thanks again. You do a great job. And again, if you're not listening to Glenn Hallstrom's Old Man Grognard podcast, well, you should. And the authoritative voice of gaming. And we're going to Unlike on. myself, you know, who is like uh, hunched over here like uh, Larry King with a cither- with a cigarette in my withered paw. You know? <laughs> <laughs> what a what a mental image you paint there, sir. Yeah, I know. Just a cigarette and a withered paw and an open kimono. Oh boy. <laughs> All right, and we also got one from Colin Green from Spike Pit. Not Snake Pit, but Spike Pit. He's going to be coming at you, so we'll be back after the break. Here's Colin. Hi, Mike, Randy, Colin, Spike Pit. Um, just listened to your episode, you were talking about um, Gamma World, and uh, yeah, I missed out on that, and uh, I also missed out on Traveller, but my sci-fi game of choice from back in the day was Star Frontiers. Oh, yes, um, I've still got my copy uh, I've got the um, the module, uh, what is it, Escape from Volturnus or something like that. Oh man, the, 
the aged memory fails me once again. And uh, yeah, Twilight 2000, we played a little bit of that. And um, back when I was a teenager, that was just uh, a bit too grim, I think. And we didn't really get it. So we just ended up sort of playing a Twilight 2000 D&D, if I recall rightly. But um, yeah, really enjoying your blast from the pasts. And look forward to many more. All right, thanks, Colin. Uh, thanks for the kind words and all that. Uh, yeah, um, Star Frontiers. Um, oh, that's one we totally should have named, like as like when we were blurbing Traveler and other things that we'd love to talk about some other time. Ah, Star Frontiers, you nailed it. Uh, wish we'd had a copy of that when we were kids. That would have been fun. I did, but it was kind of lost in the shuffle. We had Traveler, and we were pretty happy with that. And we will be covering Traveler in a future episode, so... Yeah, we got wired into some other things uh, as they began to come out later, like... Uh, oh, jeez. Star Wars, uh, the first yep. edition from West End. Yep, West End uh, game, Star Wars. We were pretty really impressed good. by West End stuff. So, you know, we were playing different science fiction games, but Star Frontiers never got a shot while I was at the table. But about Twilight 2000, you're right, uh, for those of us growing up, circa the 1980s Cold War... Uh, yeah, that's it was pretty dark material. It, it seemed yeah. pretty grim, and I, frankly, if if a game could be a metal band, uh, Twilight Two Thousand is dark enough that it would qualify it as Celtic or Celtic Frost. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, extra dark. It was, and it was even a black cup of coffee of gaming. My stint in the military, uh, I was in the Marines. We ended up uh, playing quite a bit of that. Uh, there was a couple guys who ran it, and. Uh, I got roped into running it a few times as well, um, using some of the rules for uh, generating the Marine Expeditionary Force in Europe and all that. It was kind of close to home for us because I was in the 1st Division and uh, we were going to be sent into uh, Norway, Finland area. So, you know, that was something that we uh, had to look at. <laughs> Trained in San Diego to quickly don your parka. Yep. <laughs> Well, all all weather, all season, Marines. Um, yeah, we while well, we were successfully invading uh, Northern California five times, we <laughs> we successfully invaded Northern California during that. That's when I remember a couple good games. <laughs> the brothels will never be the same. I don't know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, thank you, Colin, and uh, thank you, Glenn and Larry, for all that useful information. Yeah. Uh, Metamorphosis Alpha, one thing I want to touch about Larry, very correct in uh, his summation there that uh, there wasn't a whole lot of changes between Mutant, or excuse me, Mutant, uh, Metamorphosis Alpha and Gamma World, except I think Gamma World had one thing going for it, and this is where we're going to end off on that podcast, is it put enough distance between the event of what was called the Shadow Wars, uh, or Shadow Years, where all the Beacle matter hit the rotating oscillator. Yes. And uh, it kind of cushioned the blow a little bit. But uh, nonetheless, one of the fun things was uh, taking those roadmaps and then uh, that you get at uh, gas stations and rest areas and then, you know, uh, changing it to suit your uh, post apocalyptic vision was one of the things out of Gamma World that uh, we kind of did now and then. But, uh, yeah. That. So Brings us to the end of the call-in section. Yeah, that will bring us there. And, and I'm so thrilled that it actually took this long. I, that was really touching, guys. Yeah, Thanks so, so much. Yeah, and I appreciate that. And again, Anchor, Podcast Family, thank you all. Um, 
But now, speaking about that, we did a little experiment tonight. I wanted to uh, shake it up a little bit. We had a couple topics that uh, me and Mike have been uh, chomping the bit to do. Yeah. But I put it up on Twitter, put up a poll, what you would like to see, and uh, four topics. And uh, the one that went out was kind of a joke one, but I wanted to test our skills. So you're going to have to bear with us. Tonight's topic <laughs> is, was voted on. 75% of you wanted to hear about melee versus archers. So that's going to be our topic tonight. That's right. Yeah. Melee versus archers through the various editions. And also, it's kind of to, yeah, I mean, one, uh, we are pretty extemporaneous here. You know, we just, we have a primary topic. We discuss it for a few minutes before show, and then we just jump right in uh, and hit the high notes <laughs> and make sure that we, you know, fill in the details as we go. Uh, and if that was the topic, even though it was kind of the, the gag one thrown in, uh, if that's the one that people really wanted to hear, then so be it. We're going to do that one. That's right. So here's to all you folks who voted, and thanks a lot. We will do this once in a while just to throw randomness in. Yeah, we'll like, like we said, this next 25 episodes, you know, it is all about doing things we haven't done before and stretching the wings and trying new stuff. So we're in. All right, so melee versus archers. Boy, if there hasn't been a contentious debate in the fighter community there and are. the subclasses of fighters throughout the editions, it's, it, it's guys it's, with the shooty things versus the guys with the stabby, slashy things. And I am totally that guy with the stabby, slashy things going, you know, hey, you've got the hit points of a small European country and you're hiding back there behind the cleric's robes. What's wrong with you? Get in here and mix it up, punk. Yeah, Mike's the, uh, he is the brawler, man. He loves I'm... to get into fights, and he's played a numerous amount of characters that have always engaged in melee combat. So he's always one with a sore spot for the guys with all the hit points sitting back there. What, you got 89 hit points, Ranger. What are you doing back there? Uh, using my double specialization with my bow uh, and doing more damage than you in your melee. Punk. But... Well, just you wait till I get that extra specialization point. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get into the first parts of how we start the show. We're going to go right back in the early editions of Chainmail. To be honest, archery ruled. The only thing that really beat archery was phalanx. And oh. that's in old wargaming. Turtle know? up. Yep, turtle up. You know, the turtle tortoise formations of Roman legions all the way to the <laughs> bristling phalanxes of... You know, this uh, Swiss pikeman. Yeah, so tactically in Malie, uh that is an actual historical accuracy reflected in gameplay, uh, even in the earliest forms of the game. And although I I never got the chance to play true old-school chainmail, uh, yeah, they're not wrong. That You know, big shields, lots of spiky, pointy bits poking outwards from them, and uh, you built your own cover. Yep. And you know, <laughs> so take that, archers. <laughs> and then the idea was is to outlast the reign of archers or missile fire to get close to your enemy and bring them to bear. And of course, that uh, was brought into the dungeon environment, but then a change happened. Um, when you were dealing with outside forces, yes, archery is king, but in constricted and uh, restrained environments, such as a dungeon or interior of a castle, you had a much different effect. Even though archery could still get the first few blows off, yeah, it wasn't going to last for long. 
eventually you would have to settle it through mailing. And I am a jerk DM that will periodically, just to keep people humble, there will be a passageway so narrow that they are obligated to crawl. That two-handed sword and that super long spear and, you know, that fancy bow, none of that can come into play. You're or in your a, shields. You're in a knife fight in the freaking dark on your hands and knees. And I, I do that just to remind people from time to time that uh, their DM is, in fact, pure evil incarnate and lives only to torment them. So, <laughs> all right, maybe yeah. not that bad. And, you know, uh, <laughs> one of the things that I've always learned, it was stressed, uh, even in this day and age, in my military experience, was that all combat will eventually devolve to melee at some point. You know, that's how you finish everything off. So, you know, bayonet practice and knife fighting skills and hand-to-hand combat were uh, uh, rigorously trained throughout my career. And then later in my more academic career in uh, military history, I learned that melee probably, you know, despite the prevalence of firearms and missile weapons, both bows, crossbows, and even slings, it all eventually came down to the finishing blows of combat through com- uh, melee, through co- heavy infantry and medium cavalry, light cavalry, all that, because mobility. And archers usually, even though they're a little bit more mobile, are, have their feet tied to mass ranks and all that. And that's all gone in the party schematic. So having gone through the preamble of wargaming, the transition to uh, role-playing, tabletop, small-scale skirmish inside a dungeon. Yeah, this is the phase where we move into first editions of D&D proper. And, frankly speaking, the bow took a hit in that one, and that was my training ground. So I developed a great love of the melee weapon, uh, hurrying to get into combat, you know. Yep, um, the initial onslaught of the charge, your distances are much more limited. Now, outdoors, every fighter in even first edition would be well-served by having a backup, uh, Missile weapon, like even just a short bow or a yeah. carefully tucked away long bow with a, a spare of arrows or javelins or even just a heavy crossbow, always at the ready. And I confess, at that age, I was all about the DPS. You know, I really loved to get in the mix as fast as possible and do as much harm as I could. Uh, I wanted the Vorpal Blade going snicker snack and monsters' heads flying left and right. And a bow just didn't deliver that satisfying crunch. So I I was not enamored of it, but I kept it as a backup weapon on most fighters. Just for that stray critter that is floating above the party being a pest. Because uh, I remember you as a DM. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You were not above doing exactly what I mentioned earlier, which is humbling the party by reminding them that not everything conveniently flings itself right into your sword. Uh, yeah, um, you know, that, that six plus foot dude with the giant two handed sword and an angry look on his face, a lot of things don't really want to approach that. No, they don't. <laughs> and even in uh, wilderness encounters, playing things like Peritons taking the dive from high cliffs on you, where you rarely had a chance to get much more than a parting shot off because of their speed, or Wyverns draping the party and stinging rare uh, the stragglers, usually the weak robed ones in the back. Sorry, Steve. Um, Oh, yeah. Yeah, and letting their poison do the work for them. Um, Those uh, made the archers feel pretty happy that they could take those creatures out or at least put them at bay for a while. But, uh, yeah, it was still melee was the king through first edition, and uh, no more tortured character. 
<laughs> would be uh, come out of these addition, changes in addition than the Ranger. Now, the Ranger initially started with a heavy emphasis on melee because they had the bonus to damage giant class creatures. Oh, Ogres, yeah. Ogres, trolls, orcs, goblins, all the typical foes of humanity that uh, the Ranger archetype was based off of Strider or the Men of the West. Yeah, so here they were with an extra perk for easy double melee action. You know, two weapons, one foe. Uh, so they could dole out some serious harm, especially against the humanoid and giant type classes uh, of monster. Those were terrific days to be a ranger. Yeah, although to be fair, though, this, the uh, two-weapon thing wouldn't come in much more till about second edition, but... The one thing that changed the ranger was the addition of weapon specialization. That the ranger was that rare bird at first level could select with a longbow. And that what made the ranger kind of tortured. Now the ranger was a class that, just like any others, you could choose what you wanted to be. But they were sort of focusing the ranger to more range combat. But yet still retaining the humanoid giant uh, damage bonus yeah, per they, level. They offered an array of options where a particular subclass of fighter could make better use of the longbow or shortbow than anybody else in the party uh, yeah. by active specialization. If they were willing to drop a specialization point into that or a proficiency point into that, they could make themselves a strong missile combatant. Uh, and that was a change of pace. Now, it gave a nod to rangers being skilled with the bow and gifted woodsmen and all that. But that first edition zone hadn't really added anything like feats yet. So the bow, honestly, it didn't stack up well against melee weapon competitors. The yeah, two-handed sword, the bastard sword, the, uh, the long sword, uh, those were still damage dealers, and of course the uh, spear set to charge, or set against to charge, was a terrifying thing to behold, yeah. uh, even, especially when it's wielded by the party's foes. I don't want to charge! And also weapon specialization from melee fighters with the swords, the extra attacks, and damage bonus. And the point-blank range didn't come into effect till about 30 feet, and that's when the bow, crossbow, churbos all did their massive amounts of damage. Double damage at point-blank range, plus all double modifiers. Yeah, it was pretty sick. So, <laughs> with that, you know, we transitioned into second edition, and uh, second edition kind of changed the Ranger again, and put more of an emphasis on just one type of fighting style that they could get uh, busy with, and also with uh, fighters as well. And weapon specialization seen a nerf, so... And it was taken down a notch or two, but uh, this... The real thing that also happened was a character called Dritz Dwarden. Ah, uh, with the two-weapon fighting style. Yep. Using all them ranger bonuses and all that, he became kind of the archetype for the two-weapon fighter that would see itself ingrained into the mainstay of the first part of 3.0, or the first part of 3rd edition transitions. And this is where it gets interesting, okay? I mean, not, not that, you know, I didn't enjoy the earlier editions. And there's there's something of a little simmering resentment in me over what happened uh, in the transition to, you know, 3, 3.5 era. Uh, I approved 
broadly speaking, of the creation of beats. It was a terrific thing. Uh, it allowed a greater degree of customization and the ability for players to select for themselves the path of advancement that their particular class was going to take. You know, their micro-specializations could be selected as they gained levels, and it led to some very unique development paths that were just not really plausible in the earlier editions. But it was a steep learning curve for an oh, old-school fighter. Yeah. Uh, Everybody had to basically start carrying missile weapons, and that's not such a bad thing, to be honest. It's uh, They did right by the missile weapon. They let people invest in it and make it a stronger form of weapon. Now, of course, we're also leaving out of this conversation completely ignoring spells and spell casting. It is a form of missile, uh, and does tend to, you know, liven up things oh. with a safe distance. Yeah, mass rank of orcs out in the wilderness. That's called fireball bait. Uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, well, that and the ever-present magic missile in all of its various forms is still an incredibly popular ranged assault that can hit just about anything. Yep. Uh, however, since it is kind of a melee versus archery, I, I am going to relate a story here uh, about that steep learning curve I mentioned. Oh, boy, here we go. Yeah. Our, <laughs> hey, hey, folks, you may want to get some tissues nearby. If we had some sad music, I'd play it. Yeah, it, it, cute, sad, sad trombone. Uh, we're going to need that. Just wah, wah. No, we don't need the sad trombone. We just need the guy with the fiddle playing softly. Uh, maybe something like Dance Macabre in the background. You know, oh, no, we don't need to get that more. With that, all right, no. Uh, <clears throat> I had been playing first and second edition for better than ten years. I had never played the third or 3.5 era version of D&D. And this was not too terribly long after it had been out. Uh, the rest of the old crews uh, living in one town had been playing 3rd uh, edition and then upgraded to 3.5 very promptly as soon as the errata were cleared and they, the reissues were out and all that. And about that time, I drifted into town looking for a game, you know, Stranger in a dusty overcoat itches his horse to the post, walks into the bar and says, Barkeep, what you got for a game? I got dice. Uh, and that happened to be the game du jour. So I strolled in there and uh, rolled up a fighter with the, the help of some others. And I felt pretty cool about this awesome fighter I had rolled up and to match the level of the party at play, uh, I made him about fourth level. And I suddenly discovered that the rest of the party were ridiculous cowards. Uh, they all were just a bunch of sniveling wimps who hid in the back with bows, and just no matter how many hit points they had, they were all way back there, like, okay, I ready my bow. You know, they just readied missile weapons for everything, all the time, while I sat there champing at the bit. I want to go kick something right in the butt! Where is it? Where? Point me at the enemy! You know, just like a Irish setter, just point! Uh, finally get to actual combat that doesn't die at the hands of missile weapons, and I instantaneously charge. At which point, 
a goblin, which was now a thing that could be leveled as a rogue, backshanked me. Disclaimer, folks, could always have happened in any edition. Uh, in theory, yeah, but it was much more codified into the structure of the third edition, that now, you know, like even creatures that once upon a time, it took a little DM, you know, finagling. You know, you could finesse your way into leveled creatures, but that was not a commonplace happening. Uh, further, the ability to detect an opponent uh, in the field is now, you know, severely curtailed for non-rogues. Uh, less observant classes. He was playing a multi-class character by a rogue. Not at first. Yes, you were. You had one. Mercurio Hofstrater's first incarnation was as a fighter. It was immediately after this experience I took a level of rogue and said, screw that! Well, also Mike forgets that the dice sometimes are not very kind to him, and he rolled poorly on his perception check, and Proceeded to get backstabbed by a goblin rogue. Yeah, my, his indignation, my indignation, my near the, instantaneous disembowelment made me realize that the rest of the party were cowards for a darn good reason. Well, again, not true. There were two other melee fighters, but as Mike tells the story, <laughs> way back behind me. Well, you got high initiative. So <laughs> anyway, Mike got the brunt of one sneak attack, and forever after, I've been living with the shame of having to run one encounter that I've never been able to live down. <laughs> so, you know, this is uh, my back pay for all those years ago, having my paladin fall down to almost on the cusp of achieving fourth level to get my uh, war horse. I fell down a pit and was savaged by... For bone snappers. No, no, that was two bone oh, snappers. But I truly believed two could be killed much quicker than that. And I, I also and I was bare bit at the time. <laughs> I, I, my dice were just crapping out. He rolled for crap, and I swear, it just I thought it would be two, three hits tops. All he had to do was wail on him a little bit, and they would have folded like little bitty babies. But no, no, he couldn't hit them to save his life. While they tore him limb from limb. <laughs> so, uh, but that was his revenge. That was his his moment of uh, you know uh, equal or lesser value. Yeah, I I paid, paid it back it. with interest. But I learned right away: get a hold of a missile weapon, take a level of rogue. You know, enjoy that multi-classing. Make the best use of the skills that you have, not just the feats, not just the damage per second you can dole out, but have an awareness and an ability to control the field. Uh, that was a major head game change for me. Uh, yeah. I, I admit to a, a little bit of, uh, you know, rosy exaggeration, <laughs> but I, I want to get across the moment of total crestfallen agony like but being a fighter doesn't mean anything anymore we just all hide in the back with bows and you know, this sucks I, we're, if high adventure has been reduced to you know backstab fast 11 I, I, this is not good <laughs> where's the high fantasy well the high fantasy was quickly restored when the other rogues in the party burned mainly but Oh, we're, uh, we're starting to get off. Shortly of before we were all eaten by a giant mimic posing as a tower. Well, that was a different game, sir. But we'll get into that one. <laughs> yeah, some that other was time. a whole, whole uh, another edition of the game. But back to third edition, when it changed the emphasis of there was more of an equilibrium shift between 
missile combat and melee combat. And always, as my, uh, despite his protestations, to the contrary, rogues have always been that one wild card in melee combat. A well-hidden, prepared rogue, ready to backstab instantly, like in the Slave Lords. Uh, yeah, I still yeah. remember that one. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, Paladin going up. I'm going to kill that Goblin Cleric of Magulbite, but it's the last thing I do. Oh, jeez, two hit points left? Yeah, that might be the very last thing I do. I guess I'm laying hands on myself and not being improper while doing it. <laughs> so, yeah, there, there's always been times where my... <laughs> Magulbite, fry your liver. Oh, that bastard. I hate that Goblin Cleric in the uh, city of the Slave Lords. No, uh, and he's right that despite my protestations, what I did like about the third and later editions, is that the missile weapon was brought into its own. It was given an equal footing for once and all. If somebody is willing to invest the time and the effort to buy the feats and work their way up the ladder, they can fight toe-to-toe with the toughest of swordsmen. And likewise, the swordsmen now can follow a very specific track, develop greater control of the field of battle, and dole out massive harm. So, depending on your level of investment and the direction you want to take it, you could make any weapon uh, the equal of any other. And I thought that was a good leap forward overall. But the overall question still remains. What's better, archer or swordsman? And the real question has always been, like, man with a gun versus a man Go ahead. with a rifle. Pick it up. You all saw it. He had a gun. Yeah. Jack Palance. Uh, yeah. And also, uh, Yojimbo. Yojimbo. Yes. There was always a good equalizer. And the trick was is getting close in combat. And it's up to the players. So, while there is always that great de- uh, depth between an archer versus a swordsman, and that argument probably will never be solved, no, it is I, the fact that gaming has allowed us a lot of good, interesting conventions, as just shown here, from the backstabbing rogue, skulking either an alleyway or well hidden in a dungeon passage or woodland thicket. Or a team of good fighters with some extra large, like, kite shields and, uh, you know, each with a spear. Boom! You just turtled up, formed your own shield wall, you know, there are ways to make that work for you, too. Uh, and that, that old argument carries forth in gaming, and it still holds true. It's one of the enduring marks of role-playing games. I don't think that it's a thing that can be measured in an absolute plus or minus winner-loser category. True. But if you got to pin me down on it, my answer is admittedly emotional. Because of my love of classic high fantasy, I'm, you know, sword and board! Yeah. I I want something in my hands. I want my character hacking away at the foes. The Forple Blade went snicker-snack, and off comes the head of the Jabberwocky. That's the stuff I live for. So that's that's just me. I'm not going to come down like that's an authoritative, oh, everybody should do that. No, no, do your own yeah, thing. Yeah, have fun being be an Robin archer. Hood, man. Enjoy it. But be prepared to be ribbed by your friendly local fighter who likes to get in the mix. As I like to say in my favorite game of medieval combat, Archer, the other white meat. Ah, yes. Yes. When somebody spawns an archer in chivalry. <laughs> Take him out. Yeah, everybody just stops what they're doing across the battlefield and runs to where the spawn point is where the archer just manifests. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a dusk till dawn moment where, you know, now let's kill that band. 
Yeah. Just now let's kill that archer. Yep, so it doesn't matter. But we thank you for sticking around. Uh, and also thanks for all the call-ins. Uh, that was yeah, that a was great, great session. Yeah. So we're gonna keep it up, but uh, until next time, here's to you, Mercurio Hofstrader, wherever you are. You magnificent <laughs> bastard with the scar on your back from a goblin dagger. <laughs> right in the kidney. Oh yeah. May you forever be wary of goblins hiding in the woods. And next time you encounter them, may the dice always, always roll in your favor. favor. We're, We're out. See ya.